This is L.A. Court Report, covering Southern California's boys' high school basketball scene, going to games, running events, hosting Zoom conversations, and now, the podcast. This is the L.A. Court Report podcast. I'm Steve Wax, here with L.A. Court Report co-founder Brad Enright. And our guest today is Shalhevet High School head coach, Ryan Coleman. Ryan, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So coach, in addition to being an outstanding basketball coach, you're a classroom teacher of positive psychology. Can you talk a little about the paradigm of positive psychology? I think positive psychology, um, and a little bit ironic that this year, uh, I would be asked to teach a class like positive psychology, given the climate of our um, of what's going on in the world. Um, positive psychology is is basically it's a shift from studying and understanding the worst in human behavior to um, actually looking at, at and promoting the best in human behavior. Um, you know, for the most part, when you watch the news. Uh, 95% of it is negative, and they may throw in a story or two here or there about something good happening in the world. Um, and positive psychology is trying to get us to think and learn more about the positive instead of always dwelling on the negative. Right off the bat, I can tell you, players do crave praise. You know, there's the old saying about for every one thing you do wrong, a coach should be saying five things correct. How do you respond to the voice who says, but there's going to be nights where your players are taking bad shots, they're missing bad shots, they're not boxing out, they're turning it over. How am I supposed to find positives when we're not putting any out there? How do you respond to that voice? Uh, I, I totally hear that. Uh, and I'm definitely a culprit of that sometimes. I think that uh, my best analogy would be when I go to a restaurant, um, let's say that my food was served and it wasn't exactly how I wanted it to be served. Maybe it wasn't hot enough. Um, I would generally call the waiter over. I hit him with a compliment and then what I really want to get at and then throw another compliment at him on the way out. So I may say something to the effect of, hey, everything's going great. Service is great. My food's just a tad on the cold side. Would you mind heating that up? Love your outfit tonight. You know, something to that effect. Um, and with a player, something similar. Hey, Timmy, you're doing a great job. Uh, it would help if maybe you got over to the split line and helped out your defenders. Go get them, buddy. So I try to sandwich what I'm really trying to get at um, with maybe some positives on both ends of it. That makes a great deal of sense. Now, I understand that this is an odd year. We were talking about that before we hit record. But have you found that you've altered your approach to coaching based on the classroom lessons that you learned while teaching positive psychology? Well, as I mentioned uh, prior, um, you know, I'm trying out some of what I've learned on my family, my kids and my dog. Um, and then we'll take it to the court once we finally are able to get back on the court. I have lofty goals for myself and expectations. Um, you know, sometimes when I watch myself on film, I'm overly emotional. Um, you know, if we turn the ball over, take a bad shot, miss an assignment on defense, 
uh, I would love to find some sort of happy medium where uh, my highs and lows are not as high and low as they have been. Um, and that's something that I'm working on um, and I plan to put into place once we're back on the court. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, the things that I've learned is, um, is trying to identify goals, whether it be a team goal uh, or a personal goal, and then trying to see what those, the hurdles may be, identify what the hurdles are to, to achieve that goal, and then sort of go into a problem-solving mode. Um, you know, and you can apply that to life. You can apply it in the classroom and definitely on the court. Um, as it applies to your team, whether it be a season-long goal uh, or a short goal, maybe just something during a game. Um, and I think the communication aspect um, is super important, especially when we're dealing with teenagers who um, may not be used to hearing the tone of voice that I take sometimes um, or feeling like they've let me down in some sort of way. Like, you know, some people as a parent, I used to hate when my parents would say to me, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. You know, that was like, Oh man, they're not even mad. They're just disappointed. Like what, what have I done? Um, and as a player, if they feel like they've let you down as a coach, sometimes they're going to go into the tank. So I think it's super important to, um, to pick and choose your tone and how you approach each player, you know, and then knowing, kind of which players you can push their buttons and which players you may need to coddle them a little bit more. So, so those are things that, um, you know, that I'm kind of learning by going through this positive psychology curriculum that may help me uh, with, with players on the court. Looking at your own career, can you think of a time a coach knew exactly the right tone to take with you and how that helped you flourish? Uh, I had a, um, really good relationship with Coach Young at Chaminade. Um, I played at Calabasas High School, uh, and I used to go to Chaminade uh, late at night after practices, and Coach White and Coach Young would put me through um, workouts when I was in high school. And um, those guys were great motivators um, and teachers without raising their voice. Um, you know, they just kind of knew – the right things to do and say. Obviously, you know, Coach White is known for his loud voice on the sidelines, um, but Coach White um, has been a mentor of mine and um, I'll, I'll always be indebted to him kind of for the way that he, um, the way that he kind of took me under his wing um, and, and pushed me in the right direction when I was trying to succeed in basketball. That makes a lot of sense. What aspects of positive psychology have you, have you found that are not applicable to coaching? Oh boy, brace yourself. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we um, go over in curriculum, in the curriculum, which I don't actually think are even appropriate for, um, for high school kids. You know, sometimes I'm reading through the book and what I'm supposed to teach, and especially given that uh, I'm at an Orthodox Jewish school, um, and need to be sometimes careful about the subject matter. Um, I would say that like the relationship between money and happiness, um, things like that. Although if my head of school is listening, I do equate money and happiness together. And I am really happy 
uh, where I'm at right now. So let's keep that coming. Um, and then, you know, things like marriage and happiness. And I'm sure my wife will listen. So I'll tell her that I love her to death. And, uh, um, you know, I think there's certain things that uh, like impulse uh, and recovery, um, you know, that don't really apply. Um, although I guess on a basketball court, if you're always making the impulse decision, which is to to make the home run pass or something, maybe that um, that does apply. But there are a lot of things um, that are equating to happiness and your your daily life and achieving um, flow. Flow is something that um, in positive psychology is is a big topic, meaning that. You want to be able to, at some point during your day, kind of have some sort of mindless um, and untimed uh, thought or productivity where you just block everything else out. So, um, you know, that happens for me uh, when I'm working, but not necessarily during a game. Thanks for that answer. So utilizing the principles of positive psychology, how would you analyze your own strengths as a coach? And can you talk about those moments of vulnerability and self-doubt and how you navigate through those moments? Well, I think being confident um, comes from preparing. Uh, if I feel like I've prepared and I've prepared my team, I generally have um, a, a good self-confidence in what's going on. Um, you know, the vulnerability and self-doubt comes in sometimes when, uh, as a coach, I become a little bit stubborn and thinking that, uh, you know, I prepared for a game a certain way. Um, and if I'm not able to abort that game plan um, and I'm stubborn enough to think that I prepared one way and that's the way it has to be when, when we need to clearly do something different than we planned for, um, I think that that's a little bit selfish on my part. I've, I've definitely learned as a coach. Um, and I think there's a, there's a definite time in the game for me um, late in the second quarter where I kind of sit down and, and I'm already preparing for halftime and the adjustments that we need to make. Um, and, you know, it's, we've, we've been a notoriously a good second half team um, and credit to our players if we go in at halftime and need to completely change a game plan, um, they're able to do that and, and adjust on the fly. So I think that you know, sometimes being vulnerable and doubting yourself can actually be a positive. And that's totally a, a, um, you know, a concept that I've, I've been learning in the classroom with the positive psychology curriculum. How much do you analyze your body language when you're watching yourself coaching on film? Well, it's either me analyzing it or my current players and alumni sending me videos of, of, of me jumping up and down or being in a defensive stance. Um, I'm animated and I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Um, you know, a, a coach John Pilar's at Calabasas has been um, one of my mentors and, and where I started my high school coaching career. And he is very calm. You know, underneath his black sweater, I'm sure somewhere his heart's beating fast, but he's very calm. Um, and I didn't take that from him, apparently. You know, I'm more, I'm on the J.J. Prince uh, in the defensive stance yelling, that type of guy. 
Um, I think that it's a little bit dangerous sometimes if your um, if your lows, if if when something's not going well, if you're shrugging your shoulders or look dejected, um, I think that that's a problem, and I'm very conscious of that. Um, I try to be upbeat as much as possible and and get my guys energized. And um, you know, I, I think honestly, a lot of it still stems from this dynamic of I still feel like I could get on the court and play uh, better than half of my players. And that's not a slight at them. That's more, uh, you know, I'm saying that tongue in cheek and please forgive my dry sarcasm. Um, but I still have it in me. If there's a, uh, if there's a current coaches league that we can open up after this pandemic, I am all in for it. Okay. So you talked about the people who have influenced you. You talked about coach Pilars, coach white, coach young, JJ Prince, who else would you put on that list? Todd Wolfson, um, Todd and I actually played together several years ago in an adult league um, when he and I could still move around a little bit. I talked to him frequently. Um, you know, I kind of bounce ideas off of several different coaches. Jermaine Potts, who's now coaching in college, who was at Calabasas um, when I started there and then at Burbank High School. Um, you know, there's, there's several coaches that um, – I may not even like the way that their teams play, uh, the style of play, but just getting an insight from, from another coach sometimes, you know, may give me an idea of something that I may be able to, you know, to, um, to tie into my team. Um, you know, Coach Cantwell at Chaminade, who I've worked with also, um, I'm envious of the, the free, open style of play that they're, um, allowed to have, you know, I, I, I get it that he's blessed with great talent, but he gives that talent freedom to do um, what they do and doesn't put any handcuffs on them. And I think that I've taken a, a little bit of that uh, recently and been able to, to take um, some of the handcuffs and give the, our guys who have supreme talent a little bit more freedom to make mistakes um, and also make great plays for our team. Okay, then I want to ask you the question that every coach is asked at some point in their career. And that is, coach, why do you allow someone else to do things on the court you don't allow me to do? Now, the answer is obviously that one of those players possesses that extreme talent you're talking about. But how do you tell a player that they don't have that same level of talent without making them feel completely dejected? I think that if if players are very introspective and most of the players that I work with, um, you know, at shall have it in our program, understand their role. Um, then they're able to easily comprehend why, uh, you know, a, a Zach Muller or Aton Halpert or Zev Reamer, um, you know, players that are far more talented and skilled, um, than some of our role players have that freedom. Um, I think it's very important just for the players to understand their role. If players don't understand their role, they're going to have trouble understanding why some players are able to do things that they are not. Um, you know, in preseason, before the season starts, I meet with each player. A lot of times I meet with parents and just talk about expectations for the players for the upcoming season um, and kind of what they can expect. Obviously things can change due to, you know, people playing well or not playing well or injuries. 
but I think it's important to be transparent with, um, with players so that they understand and they're not surprised um, by their role once the season starts. Okay. So you and that's also... obviously, that's obviously not always taken uh, well, received well, but um, I think for the most part, it's, it's best to address that before the season starts. Well said. Now you brought up style of play and how obviously the better talent you have, the more you can sort of loosen the reins. So if someone were to say to you, coach, we're doing a clinic, we want you to speak about your signature style of play. Tell us about that style of play. Uh, our style of play, depending on who you ask, um, certain coaches will tell you that all they do is all that shall have it does is run back doors. Um, I am, I played uh, basketball at Sacramento state in college and Pete Carrill was an assistant coach with the Sacramento Kings at the time. Um, and we ran a clinic for him and this is 25 years ago and I still run several of the plays that Pete Carrill was running. Um, and of Pete Carrill, for those that, that don't know, was the um, head coach at Princeton for many years and notorious for his movement off the ball, um, sharing the ball. Um, but player movement more than ball movement would be probably my signature. Um, high basketball IQ, taking care of the basketball, and, and movement off the ball uh, is, is the key. So transitioning to talking about more about Shalhevet specifically, something really interesting about you, you've juggled being a lower level coach at Calabasas while simultaneously being the varsity head coach at Shalhevet. Can you talk about the challenges that that presents? Sure. Do you want me to list all my jobs or is that, is that too long? Are we running out of time here? I really appreciate you asking, but I think people listening need to know that how much work goes into being a coach. I think people listening need to understand that it's not just showing up at practice and game day. So I think I speak for both Definitely. Brad and for myself when I say, please. So at, at Calabasas high school, I started about eight years ago and um, started out as the strength and conditioning coach for the basketball program. And um, was also the JV basketball, the JV basketball coach. Uh, and since then I've obviously become the head coach at Shalhevet High School, and I still continue to work at Calabasas High School. Um, I run the strength training program there for all four levels of the boys' basketball team, for the girls' basketball program, the boys' volleyball program, and the girls' volleyball program. Um, and then I also run a club basketball program and coach the boys' and girls varsity teams at shall have it. So given that um, scheduling and time management are imperative. I always, um, I live and die by my calendar and being on time for things. Um, I obviously have to be extremely organized um, and not just organized in terms of showing up at the right place at the right time, but having a plan in place. Um, and with, with all my coaches and trainers, um, we always kind of know what we're doing, when we're doing it, and for how long we're doing it. And it's super important for me um, as, much, as much as I can to stay on schedule and to have that structure. With all that background and strength and conditioning, question we get asked all the time is, how do I improve my vertical? There's a bunch of ways to improve your uh, vertical. Um, I'm not one to talk. 
I was lucky when I sniffed the rim in my prime. Uh, but actually, you know, one of the reasons that I got into strength and conditioning was because when I got out of high school basketball and went to play in college, um, I was completely devastated. My body was um, just wrecked from having to do strength training um, with grown men that have been doing this for several years. And most people did it through high school. I chose not to. Um, you know, I liked looking like a toothpick and figured maybe I'll just slide by guys. Uh, you know, that doesn't work when you're, when you're having to play against 220 pound guards and you weigh a buck 60 soaking wet. Um, so one of the reasons that I got into strength and conditioning was to better prepare high school players who wanted to play at the next level. And so that they could see the value, um, in being stronger as far as improving your vertical, um, I think it's super important for, for people to be patient and understand that there's a process. And in like in anything that you want to be good at or improve at, it takes time. Um, and you have to build a foundation uh, before you can put the second story on a house. You got to have that first story and underneath the first story. So you got to have flexibility. You got to have um, stability. And then you got to be able to to pack on a little bit of muscle in your glutes and your hips um, and your hip flexor area um, before you can really start getting vertical. Um, I think that the best trainer, the best training system right now is probably using the Vertimax. Um, I happen to have one in my garage right now. And my son who thinks that he can um, jump a little bit and he's in sixth grade is just starting to use that. Um, you know, and then I guess one of the best trainers, really the best training mechanisms really is just to continue to jump. It's, it sounds stupid, but um, if you're a guy who, who goes up every time you try to dunk a basketball and you're hitting the bottom of the rim, please stop um, and take a step back. And uh, when you're ready to start trying to dunk a golf ball, and then a tennis ball, and then a softball, and, and then a volleyball. You know, there's a process um, that you can go through instead of being that guy who's jamming the ball against the bottom of the rim. Ryan, one thing I wanted to ask you had mentioned, you had, you had done or you are currently doing some work with both men's and women's team. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm currently the um, head coach of both the boys and the both girls. I shall have it. Yep. I, I thought I heard you say that. I didn't want to be incorrect. What's yes. the difference and how does your psychology training help you coaching different genders at the same time? How do you well, um, I'm definitely a little bit more careful with the girls in terms of what I say, how I act, what I do. Um, I have a teenage daughter, which I think helps me coach and connect with the girls. Um, although my teenage daughter would probably not agree. Um, but, uh, you know, the girls are, are much like the boys were when I first got to Shell Have It in that they're sponges and they're so excited to be coached by, um, by the boys coach now um, that they're so attentive and, and willing to try and do just about anything on the court or in preseason to get ready for the season um, that it's really a joy. 
I'll tell you one thing that's different is I get in way more TikToks and uh, Instagram videos with the girls team than I do with the boys. But, you know, you got to get your street cred one way or another. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Do you find that you do the same things in practice, drills, offense, defense, shooting, transition? Um, that's a good question. I, I think when I started, I tried to do almost mirror images in the practices. And it was probably two or three practices in that I realized, okay, I got to take a huge step back here. And um, let's get to the basics first. Um, I'm, I'm able to work with many of the boys before they even get to high school, um, you know, in a club basketball program or through clinics that we run. Um, and I was finding that the boys' fundamentals were far more polished than the girls. So when we first started with the girls, we worked on a ton of fundamentals. Um, we also do fundamentals every day with the boys, but a lot of fundamentals with the girls. And then trying to figure out the, um, the girls' game which is a completely different style of basketball. Um, and, and part of that pertains to our personnel. Um, but there's also different rules in girls basketball that I, um, you know, that you could take advantage of that you can't in, in the boys. So um, yes and no, we do run some of the same sets, uh, but for the most part in girls basketball, most teams play zone defense. Uh, so we're working on zone offensive sets. And then I've, I'm a man-to-man um, defensive coach. So our, teaching our girls the principles of man-to-man um, defense takes a lot of time because most girls um, have played zone their entire life. So we spend a lot of time on man-to-man defensive principles. And transitioning back to the boys' side, let's talk about your 2018-2019 season. You were 23 and seven. You had a 10 game winning streak. What do you think facilitated the success of that team? Um, You know, that was the, that was my fourth year um, at the school. And I think that had a lot to do with it. Having the freshmen come in and a couple of the freshmen were on the varsity team and played some varsity minutes. um, And then most of them being in the program and kind of knowing what to expect, um, in the program, I think helped a ton. You know, we had a, a really, really tough regular season schedule. I knew that we were going to have a very talented team. Um, and being able to schedule against, <clears throat> excuse me, against Crespi, Chaminade, uh, Viewpoint, Calabasas, and schools that in general um, we wouldn't play against or they wouldn't want to play against us, um, and then us having success against those, those types of teams um, really boosted our team's confidence. Uh, I think that the summer prior to that season also, our kids really dedicated themselves um, to getting better as a team. They played club basketball. Um, they played in summer leagues together, uh, which unfortunately is not normal for um, our student athletes. Most of our student athletes shortly after the school year uh, ends, the academic school year ends, they go to Israel for the entire summer. And I don't generally see them again until school starts. So I think that that summer, that off season and and this group of kids that just dedicated themselves to really getting better um, definitely helped us that year. 
obviously you're one of the two schools on Fairfax Avenue with Fairfax High School being one we caught up with Coach Reggie Morris the other day, and uh, you are the other. You're also in an area that's heavily Orthodox Jewish. We talked to Vince Oliver the other day about the uniqueness of coaching at an Orthodox Jewish school. How's your experience been? I listened to that interview, and I'm glad that Vince covered most of that stuff so eloquently so that you're not going to ask me a lot of those tough questions. Um, you know, there's, there's so many differences, and I'm still learning them. Um, I think that the first couple years uh, that I was there, I was in shock, um, constant shock of all of the different rules and restrictions. Um, and I used to get frustrated um, at the short notice that I would have. And, um, you know, if something was canceled, if we had, we were supposed to have practice, but there was um, some Jewish holiday that I had never heard of, which there are a ton, by the way, anybody keeping track. Um, so that's, that can work both in our favor and against us. Um, obviously not being able to, uh, really play sports from sundown Friday till sundown Saturday. Um, not only not being able to play, but not being able to communicate with your team oftentimes is not only frustrating, but, um, can lead to when you play on Saturday night, you know, you have the nine o'clock, 10 o'clock game in, in a showcase um, and you have the post Shabbat hangover and you end up getting thumped by, you know, 30 points because for the most part uh, the kids are, are sitting around and eating candy all day um, and they're not getting to watch film and do the shoot around. Um, so that part definitely took some adjusting um, and I'm still adjusting to that and actually trying to schedule a little bit differently um, so that we don't have to to play as many games late on Saturday night. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the, the challenges of, um, hmm, how do I phrase this, uh, of pleasing everybody in the community in terms of making sure that we're playing against um, the other Jewish schools in the area, but at the same time, making sure that we're giving our student athletes the best experience possible. Um, you know, there's preseason tournaments and postseason tournaments that are dedicated to the best Jewish schools across the country. Uh, and in between then during CIF play, we like to schedule against anybody and everybody who will play us um, at the highest level. And, and if that means getting, um, beat by a ton of points, that's fine with us. You know, we'll learn a lesson and draw from that uh, and move on. I remember several years ago getting um, thumped in the Calabasas tournament by Heritage Christian, um, Jawad Dyson having multiple dunks um, against us in the open floor and our kids looking extremely dejected and, uh, the next year we played them ironically on a Saturday night um, at St. Genevieve high school and we beat them by one point and our kids in the locker room after were so excited and, and things like that are what make um, this job so special. Just being able to, to take these kids to another level where maybe they had never thought that they would play uh, and not only playing at that level, but, but having success at that level. 
So when we talked to Vince Oliver, we talked a lot about the Saracek tournament, which comes at the end of the season. How about the preseason tournament on the West Coast, the Globerman tournament? Are you not going to let me brag that we are the two-time defending champions of the Saracek tournament, or does that come later? Why don't you say that again, just so everyone is sure to hear you. Okay, so the last two years that the Saracek tournament has uh, occurred, which is the National High School Jewish basketball tournament with teams from all over the country. Uh, we have been victorious. And um, that event in itself is amazing. I heard Vince talk about it and Vince did a really good job describing the atmosphere um, and the sense of community that's involved in that tournament is great. Um, and we're super proud. And we have a couple of those banners hanging in our, um, in our gym right now. And that was two years in a row that we won. Did you wear a black sweater at any one of those? I wear the – I am extremely superstitious. Um, every championship game that we have ever played in, I have worn the same red um, – shall have a basketball Nike polo, red in honor of Tiger Woods and, um, and in honor of my superstitions. So anytime you see any pictures of me holding up a trophy, whether it be a, a boys or a girls – championship trophy over the last couple of years, you'll see me in that same shirt. I was hoping you might wear the John Pilar's Memorial black sweater, but that's all right. Only when I coach against John Pilar's. <laughs> Matching bald caps and black sweaters. Yes, that's marketing right there. I guess the very last question I would have for you, coach. Wait, I got to talk about the Globerman tournament. Please. So the Steve Globerman tournament is honor of, of a gentleman named Steve Globerman, who was a member of the um, Shalhevit community and actually was a student at EULA um, back in his day. Uh, and he lost the battle to cancer in 2015. Um, and his, his wife um, wanted a way to honor him. And for the last five years, we've run a national preseason tournament for both boys and girls that happens at the uh, boys and girls play at the same time, just before the CIF season starts. Um, and we have about 20 teams from across the country. Our immediate community hosts all the, uh, the players. Um, and we have a great weekend of events with a, a whole program for the kids over Shabbat. Um, we all eat dinner together um, and, and spend some really good time together and then obviously compete on the floor. And it culminates with midnight madness of uh, boys and girls championship games that, that tip off at uh, after midnight on Saturday night, post Shabbat. And um, couldn't, have, couldn't ask for a greater experience. Um, super proud to be involved in it for the last five years. And uh, we look forward to continuing um, to honor Steve and, and kind of showcase shall have it for what we are in our community. Coach, have there been any instances of anti-Semitism that you've had to deal with as a coach? Um, I've been fortunate in um, not having to deal with too many. Uh, when I first arrived at the school, not only was I coaching basketball, but coaching baseball and uh, boys flag football, which yes, I did say boys flag football. Um, and we had an, an issue with a player uh, on another team after a flag football game uh, when we were shaking hands, um, gave the Hitler salute. And um, 
you know, that was tough to deal with. Although our, our students handled it so well, and I was so proud of the way they handled it. And then our school um, actually handled it unbelievably. And we ended up having the other team and in particular that kid, but the entire other team came to our school for a day and we kind of um, educated them a little bit on, on the history of, of the Jewish people and how they've been persecuted. That's incredible. And I'm sure it was effective and meaningful for that young man who sounds like he learned the error of his ways. Absolutely. Uh, he, he later sent um, a, a heartfelt apology and I think it was, it wasn't, I don't believe that it was, um, you know, that it was forced upon him to write something like that. I think that he really did feel bad. There were several times during the day that he was very emotional when he was on our campus. And I don't want that to be the last thing we talk about. So the last question that we have for you is this. A young coach comes to you. It's his first job. And he says, look, we have a narrow pool of applicants who come to our school. I have no control over who shows up to play for my team. How can I be competitive the way you are? What advice do you have for that coach? Um, you know, at, at our school, I think we're fortunate. You know, although we have only 110 or 115-ish boys on campus, so, you know, 10% of them are or more are on the varsity basketball team. Um, I've said that the Orthodox Jewish community loves three things, and maybe not in this order, but number one is religion, number two, basketball, and number three, religion. Um, so that we're fortunate that one of those three is basketball. Um, I think that the biggest thing in creating um, a successful program is as a coach, um, knowing what type of culture you would like to create and then having the confidence that once you've created that culture in and continue to instill it in your players, choosing leaders that uh, are going to educate the younger players and, um, and help you develop that culture is, is probably the most important thing um, that I think that I've done. And I, it's nothing to do with me though. It's all, all the credit to, to the captains and the leaders that have been in the program um, since I've been there, they've done a great job of handing the torch um, to the next person. And, you know, I'm super thankful for them and they still keep in contact with the program. And I think that that's, um, you know, that, that shows me that we're doing something right. That when players leave, they still want to be a part of it and they still want to pass on that mess, that message, um, you know, that, that they were hearing when they were there, you know, three, four five years ago. So, Developing the young guys and, and allowing the um, the guys who've been through it before to to be an extension of your voice would be the number one thing that um, that I think is important in developing your culture. Thank you. And this would be a great time to say we can't thank you enough for your time today. We appreciate your wisdom, your candor, and best wishes to you and the rest of the Firehawks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you for tuning in to the L.A. Court Report podcast, an L.A. Court Report production.